Hi, welcome to The Kicker. I'm Kyle Pope, editor and publisher of the Columbia Journalism Review. This week, covering the coronavirus among Native Americans. So as this pandemic unfolds, we're learning more and more about who's affected, who's not affected, and we're also seeing more and more of coverage being focused on certain communities and not focused on certain communities. Native Americans are one area where the coverage doesn't meet the crisis. Arizona, for instance, reported that Native Americans make up to 16% of the state's COVID-related deaths, despite representing only 6% of the state's population. In New Mexico, Native Americans make up less than 10% of the population, but over one-third of the coronavirus deaths. If the Navajo Nation were a state, it would rank third in the country for confirmed cases per 100,000 population behind only New York in New Jersey. This is a story that I don't think is being represented adequately in coverage of this crisis. There's a lot to cover, granted, but there's still a gap. So we want to talk about that this week, and I have two people I want to talk about this with. Uh, I want to begin with Kyle Hopkins. Kyle is a special projects editor of the Anchorage Daily News. Welcome, Kyle. Uh, thank you. Thanks so much. It's weird having somebody else on this called Kyle, but we're going to suffer through um, Kyle, congratulations. You were winner of the Pulitzer Prize for Public Service on Monday. The Anchorage Daily News was with ProPublica. You led this effort for the Anchorage Daily News. That's terrific. Thank you. Yeah, it's been a, um, a kind of shocking and surreal week for sure. Yeah, the Public Service Award was for this collaboration you had with ProPublica called Lawless, which looked at inequities in law enforcement between Alaska's rural and urban communities. And and part of this, the rural communities are populated disproportionately by indigenous people there. So these inequities that you're writing about really did have, have, uh, have an impact on the native community. But you've also written about the COVID crisis as it relates to the indigenous population of, of Alaska. What are, is the story, some of those stats that I rattled off at the beginning from Arizona and New Mexico. Is the same story true in Alaska where you have a disproportionate effect? Well, in Alaska, our numbers have been low. We've had- In general. We've had a uh, relatively, you know, relatively few confirmed cases, relatively few deaths, I think maybe 10 deaths um, statewide. So Statewide. Yeah. Right. So in terms of kind of drawing conclusions, the numbers are so low, I think at this point, we couldn't really draw a lot of conclusions. Um, the conversation has been much more about the isolation uh, and the remoteness of villages uh, and the history of of pandemics, you know, wiping out nearly entire villages, you know, 100, 100 years before. And so the, the conversation's really been the kind of what if and how do we uh, keep it out of villages? Because, it, you know, once it gets there, it can be really hard to to get um, people who are, are very sick to, to emergency services in, you know, in any kind of uh, fast and safe manner. So in the, in the broad coverage of the coronavirus in Alaska, how central is this whole, is, is the question of these communities, or is it just part of the whole sort of fabric of coverage of the coronavirus? Well, you know, I think it was, uh, from our perspective, it was, the one of the largest concerns, um, you know, one of the first we, we were I was kind of fully beginning the second year of um, the reporting that we were doing on on sexual abuse with ProPublica when the pandemic really spun up. And um, 
you know, the first stories I wrote about COVID were about how villages, you know, tribes were going, it, you know, really tribes in Alaska were kind of leading the way in terms of recognizing the threat and acting on it. So I think the first story I did was about how many tribes in across Alaska were, were basically closing their borders. We're saying, look, we don't want any, we don't want anyone coming in and, and out of the village, uh, given how, you know, spooky this is and, and how, um, how hard it would be to, to deal with. And in most cases, it was in places where there had been, you know, just kind of devastating impacts of like the Spanish flu or the tuberculosis or other, other uh, pandemics in the past. So um, the, the first stories that we did really focused on villages reacting, trying to do everything they could to, to, keep, um, to keep the coronavirus out. And then after that, I looked a little bit more at um, things like the, the fishing industry where, you know, people come from all over the, all over the country to these really small Alaska communities to work in the fishing industry. And that was, that remains a big concern, actually, you know, what happens when all these fishermen and processors arrive in a place that has a tiny little hospital um, and, and the virus spreads. I want to, I want to bring into this conversation, Jenny Monet. Jenny writes about indigenous rights and, and injustice for the LA times, the guardian CJR. Hi, Jenny. Hi, Kyle. Good to talk to you again. Yeah. Thanks um, for having me. You and I actually discussed this separately on the phone. When was that a couple of weeks ago? You were sort of dismayed at what you saw as a lack of adequate coverage about what was going on nationwide um, with the coronavirus. And what have you seen since then? Has it gotten any better in terms of the attention that this is getting? Yeah, first of all, thanks for just um, casting light on Indian country, even in this regard. I think that the very notion that we're looking at um, coverage of Indian country in a time of a great historic pandemic like now um, speaks volumes to what I wrote about for you a year ago called The Crisis in Covering Indian Country, um, Stark Invisibility, and then it's it's a couple of things even happening now. Stark Invisibility, uh, chronic, chronic delays to the news, or, a, you know, a, a bizarre attraction to what I would see as very novel or feature type pieces of journalism. And then the fourth one is kind of a fixation on um, the exploitation of one tribe or one issue to define all of Indian country. And in this regard, what we've seen that largely be is the Navajo Nation. Uh -huh. um, you mentioned in the opening of this very um, podcast, you know, the numbers in Arizona, which have largely reflected the cases out of the Navajo Nation. And then I appreciate the fact that you said, you know, raising the question, is this adequate coverage even from what we've seen coming out of Arizona and the Navajo Nation. And I have watched a news cycle from the start of this pandemic, um, really, which kind of my scrutiny began the day that the WHO declared the pandemic on March 11th. And I've been chronicling and tracking the news as I've been trying to pitch it to editors at the same time. And, um, and just to kind of get an understanding of what editors are uh, drawn to at this time from Indian country when the news cycle is so inundated with a lot of other headlines competing with a lot of other headlines. And then secondly, um, you know, what, where has that fixation stayed? And as we now know, it's largely uh, become the Navajo nation who has defined this pandemic for the rest of Indian country without a lot of healthy skepticism. I'll just add. Uh-huh. 
So how what, what what's a better approach? What how, how should editors? I mean, get, and you you do make a fair point that you know there's there is so this this pandemic is so massive and so dislocating and so fatal. There's so much to cover. How do you think? What, what's a better way for for editors and assignment editors to be thinking about? stories involving the effect on Indian country that doesn't that doesn't use one as you say one example to sort of stand in for everybody Mm -hmm. well it's what I've been saying from the start you know the in the United States it lags it lags entirely behind other colonizing countries that have a representation of indigenous peoples and a history of indigenous peoples in their country countries like Australia Norway Canada even has a better representation of indigenous peoples in the press on a daily basis. Legacy media has a a strand uh, of indigenous news in their newsrooms. It's a devoted beat. And in the United States, still to this day, our elite media does not have a devoted beat to cover the first peoples in this country. And when when you have that kind of focus... On in a in a newspaper like the New York Times or the Washington Post, what that what that allows is to have a daily conversation to say to penetrate what's happening among 574 federally recognized tribal communities that have a very unique relationship with the federal government that have a very set of uh, different rules and looking at things even. The fact that uh, Kyle Hopkins talked about the borders closing in Alaska, that was one of the first stories that I saw that wasn't being reported at all in in a manner, even through indigenous perspective. The very act of, of tribes closing their borders, which to be sure, the Macaw Nation was the first the first community in America to close their borders in Washington state or in me in California and um, and that's an act of their very sovereignty right their very tribal sovereignty which um, which just kind of um, sets the tone for how tribes themselves have responded to this bio, uh, this virus to begin with Kyle Jenny was talking about how it's hard to get editors attention um, for stories about Indian country and coronavirus and there's so much else going on. How do you think about it at the Anchorage Daily News? I mean, is there, for instance, is there a, a dedicated Indian country reporter or reporters, or is it a beat, or how, how do you guys approach it? There, there definitely at times in the paper's history have been reporters who that was their beat. Um, it was it was kind of my beat at one time, you know, years and years ago, um, as part of what we called the rural, you know, like rural affairs, um, where it was kind of mostly most mostly village issues, which meant also covering tribes and law and, you know, um, questions of subsistence and, you know, uh, who gets first, you know, rights uh, or first crack at, you know, hunting and, and fishing and, and um, you know, will the feds or the state be overseeing, you know, subsistence hunting and fishing and those types of stories. Um, so there's a big, there's a big audience for that, those types of stories in Alaska. And so that, you know, the papers traditionally covered it quite a bit. I would say in more recent years as we, you know, our, our newspaper went bankrupt about three years ago, we yeah. contracted. Um, and so I don't know that at the moment I could point to someone in the newsroom and say, you know, this is the rural affairs reporter who covers Indian country issues, or 
in the case of Alaska, like at one time we had a business reporter whose job was to cover ANCs, to cover Alaska Native corporations. And, you know, we just don't uh -huh. have the, the bodies anymore to have someone who that's their specific beat anymore. So, you know, even at the ADN where it's kind of, it's always been in the DNA to do that type of coverage, um, you know, that we just kind of have fewer people. And so those duties are spread around and, um, yeah. you know, it's something that we think about, we try and do a good job covering it, but it's so, it's like, it's pretty intimidating. I mean, even I've been writing about this stuff for years and years and years. And every time I feel like, I feel like it's hard to explain kind of, all right, here's, here's how tribes and here's how Indian country works in Alaska. And here's how it's different than the rest of the country. It's really complicated. So, um, I mean, to answer your question, it's kind of, it's hard to, I find it hard to pitch to editors because there's, there's so much context is necessary, necessary to explain. Um, do you, do you, I assume that you read coverage of Indian country from other outlets outside, you know, in the rest of the country. Do you share sort of Jenny's critique of the sort of monolithic view of it and also just the sort of lack of, lack of coverage in general? Yeah, absolutely. I feel like I don't, well, let me put it this way. You know, um, I'm, I'm hungry for that type of coverage, you know, I, I want to read about it and I don't often see it. Um, and I think Jenny's point about when you do see it, it tends to be pretty, there's a lot of sizzle, you know, and maybe it's kind of a, um, a, you know, it's a, it's a story about like one kind of extreme issue without a lot of context. And so I don't feel like I'm much smarter than I was before I read it. Um, no, yeah. yeah, I think that's absolutely a fair point. And, and I don't think, and we're not at, at my paper, we're not, you know, immune to that, right? Like, you know, we've been guilty of that as well, for sure. You know, one of the interesting, I mean, I think this, the coronavirus is so, is so important, not only as a public health story, but as a, as a magnifying glass on what we're learning about so much about our, our structures and systems in in this country, you know, having whether it's our public health system, or our public education system, or our social safety net, or the lack of it, um, and also our, our our health as it relates to race and income in America, we're learning how vulnerable people are. And I, and I you know, maybe I'm optimistic, but I think that that you know, there that will emerge from this with a kind of clear-eyed view of, of some of these issues. I gotta say, I don't see those same lessons being drawn so clearly as it relates to Indian country in light of the coronavirus. Like, I don't think it's it's been I don't think it's been painted so clearly of the vulnerabilities that were not that have that have come to surface as a result of coronavirus. Jenny, am I making any sense? Do you understand what I'm, the point I'm trying to make? It isn't. And the sad reality, Kyle, is that these aren't new problems. I mean, what yeah. we're seeing what we're seeing roll out to this very day is another broken promise by the government to the tribes, period, full stop. The tribes were promised their $8 billion CARES package relief fund within the 30 days that everybody else was, all the other state and um, uh, municipal governments. And to this day, they just got their first installment this week and not even all of it, 60%. And, they're, and I'm so glad Kyle Hopkins is on the line here because it's an Alaska story that's not being told either. Um, really, it's not really getting the adequate coverage here in the lower 48 about having to battle these Alaska Native corporations, which are these very unique uh, extensions of tribal governments. However, they're not tribal governments, they're corporations. And they have this very 
interesting history that goes back to Alaska statehood and the 1971 largest land claim settlement ever in the United States history, the Alaska Native Lands Claim Settlement. And to this day, it just strikes squarely at why these histories matter. Um, and unfortunately, I agree with Kyle that, you know, why the learning curve when you cover Indian country is so steep in a fast news cycle like a pandemic. Where is the story going now in Alaska, uh, Kyle, in terms of, um, I, I guess it's in general, you it's just sort of watching the numbers and figuring out, you know, whether there's going to be any any blip of, of cases? Well, I think now, you know, the state's opening back up a little bit. Um, fishing season's about to launch. Um, and it, um, feels like this mo- it feels like this moment where things could remain calm. We could remain, you know, among the states with the lowest numbers, or there could be a flare-up. And if there was a flare-up in the bush, you know, in, in a village, in a region, you know, in off-the-road system, um, that could be a real serious challenge, right? Um, so it feels like a moment of calm, but I know that in our newsroom, we're, the thing we're thinking about is like, well, what, you know, this, this really could go, could go badly and what's being done to make sure that it doesn't, that's a major question. I think, um, what Jenny mentioned about the, uh, the ANCs and the CARES Act, that's a huge deal. I mean, that's like, that's a really big deal. Who's going to get that, you know, that money, are the ANCs going to receive a large portion of it? Um, should they, you know, given their resistance to, to kind of providing government style services, you know, in the past, um, that's, that's a big deal. I think, you know, we'll hear a lot more about that, uh, in the future. Um, so I think there's, you know, there's a lot more to say for sure. Yeah. Your, your description of like, we're waiting, you're waiting to see what happens and sort of holding our breath. I think that describes all of us mm-hmm. actually. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, all of us. That's sort of the state we're in. Um, Jenny, any last thoughts on where you think the story goes next? Oh, well, I mean, yeah, I'm definitely paying attention to the ANCs. um, And I think that that's, again, just a story that hasn't really been told. Um, There's this one, you spoke quickly to kind of, um, you know, where the enlightenment comes, if at all. And the reality is, is like that ANC story was two weeks late in the New York Times. However, what I found to be of immediate interest to them was a story that was greatly distorted about um, about this very novel donation that came from the Irish. Um, I actually wrote about this in my CJR piece for you last year in the Crisis Recovering Indian Country about how the, the um, Choctaw Press did probably a better job of reporting the potato famine, the Irish potato famine, um, more than anyone else, not only because they could uh, relate to their suffering uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, in there, but they also were philanthropic about it. They donated a large amount of money when they yeah. themselves didn't have a lot of money. Well, more than 170 years later, the Irish um, have been donating money and have been calling it a quote unquote return to the generosity that they received from na- from the the blanket monolith of Native Americans, um, uh-huh. and that headline has been circulating this week without question or explanation that the money that those that the the Irish are giving isn't going back to the Choctaw. It's going to the Hopi and the Navajo nation. And before I could go further, that is not to diminish the suffering of the Navajo and the Hopi nation with this critique that I'm presenting. But what I'm saying is the headlines have largely said the Irish are returning the favor to the Choctaw. And it's put the Choctaw in this very 
you know, uncomfortable light, which they've handled with, you know, extreme grace, I'll just add, in, in saying, it just saying, yes, this is wonderful. But in technically, it's not going back to the Choctaw, it's going to an entirely different tribe. And mm. as I wrote in a critique um, that'll soon come out, it's, it's like if Italy, years later, would come back and say, hey, Germany, thanks for that coronavirus relief. We're going to give it to one of your your neighboring Bavarian countries, you know, that you guys <laughs> share Bavarian history, Australia, yeah. Austria or Switzerland. Thanks a lot. Yeah. I mean, it is basically the same thing. And um, and yet no journalist anywhere has framed it that way. And in fact, there's been this kind of sensitivity to not offend the Navajo to say anything. This one scholar kind of came out and got, you know, received some backlash about that. So it's a complicated space. And I really sympathize for anyone trying to understand Indian country to write about it with any kind of, um, you know, real credibility, because I think that I think it's I think there is this notion that it's complicated for people, the learning curve is steep. And then there's also the sensitivity issue. And where does truth, you know, where does truth get diminished in that? And that's kind of what I'm penetrating now and looking at this pandemic and um, and how it how Indian country has has fared in all of this. Yeah. Jenny, thank you so much for coming on. Sure. Uh, Kyle, congratulations again on the Pulitzer. Fantastic news. Thank, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Yeah. Th- uh, thanks a lot. You can follow all of our coverage of coronavirus and journalism at our website, CJR.org on our social media accounts, and on our daily email newsletter, The Media Today. That's it. See you next week. Thanks a lot.